Was MLK Jr. a communist? In October of 1962, the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover began conducting an investigation of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and its president, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., under a surveillance project called COMINFIL, an acronym for Communist Infiltration, which permitted spying on organizations suspected by the FBI of having been infiltrated by communists. The investigation was based on the concern that MLK Jr. was being influenced by two people, simply referred to as Advisor A and Advisor B, who had in fact been members of communist organizations in the U.S. at some point prior to 1962. But did this mean that MLK Jr. was a communist? The first FBI allegations that the Communist Party was attempting to infiltrate the SCLC appeared in a report from the FBI to Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy on January 8, 1962, which indicated that Advisor A and B were members of the Communist Party USA and the National Committee of the Communist Party, respectively. Shortly after this report, Assistant Attorney General Burke Marshall told King about the FBI's claims regarding Advisor A and B, suggesting that he break off relations with these individuals. However, Dr. King gave no indication of breaking off relations with Advisor A, but Advisor B was removed from his position to prevent damage to the reputation and cause of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. When the FBI leaked this information to the press, King was forced to respond, quote, No person of known communist affiliation could serve on the staff of the SCLC. He further denied any knowledge that Advisor B had communist affiliations. MLK Jr. even told one of his associates that President Kennedy had told him that, quote, there was an attempt by the FBI to smear the movement on the basis of communist influence. The president also said, I assume you know you're under very close surveillance. In regards to these accusations, Dr. King also sent a letter to Attorney General Kennedy stating, quote, the situation in our country is such that any allusion to the left brings forth an emotional response which would seem to indicate that the SCLC and the Southern Freedom Movement are communist inspired. In other words, MLK Jr. knew that these smears of communism would destroy his reputation and his organization. Concerning MLK Jr. and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the FBI was focused on two things, the civil rights movement, as well as the communist infiltration into the black community in the U.S. This was the motivation behind all of their nefarious behavior. On July 12, 1963, Governor Ross E. Barnett of Mississippi testified before the Senate Commerce Committee that civil rights legislation was, quote, a part of the world communist conspiracy to divide and conquer our country from within. And Governor Barnett revealed the now infamous photo taken by an informant which showed Dr. King at a 1957 Labor Day weekend seminar with three individuals whom he alleged were communists. The photo presented was titled Martin Luther King at Communist Training School. 
But was this a genuine representation or FBI-influenced propaganda? When Hoover was asked directly about the authenticity of the photograph, he forwarded these inquiries to the Justice Department, along with a memo that summarized the information on MLK Jr. they had compiled so far. Luckily, Martin Luther King Jr. had friends in high places, and on July 17th, President Kennedy announced at a news conference, quote, We have no evidence that any of the leaders of the civil rights movement in the United States are communists. We have no evidence that the demonstrations are communist-inspired. There may be occasions when a communist takes part in a demonstration. We can't prevent that. The president's brother, A.G. Robert Kennedy, echoed this statement, quote, Based on all available evidence from the FBI and other sources, we have no evidence that any of the top leaders of the major civil rights groups are communists or communist-controlled. This is true as to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as well. When the head of the Domestic Intelligence Division of the FBI, William Sullivan, also echoed these sentiments about no evidence of communist infiltration. It's Tuesday, January 16th in the year of 2024. And you're listening to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. I think it's time. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is The American Journal. I'm your host, Harrison Smith. It's Tuesday, the 16th of January, 2024. We've got the Iowa caucus talked about. We've got Middle East war spiraling out of control. We've got the first day of the World Economic Forum to discuss a lot ahead. And we'll be joined by Courtney Turner in the third hour, taking your calls in the second hour. Lots of videos to get to as well. We have a couple of videos from the World Economic Forum, including Klaus Schwab's opening statement. We'll show you a clip from that on the way in this morning. I was just tuned in to what the World Economic Forum was talking about. I don't know whether it's strategic boringness or what. And I guess it's appropriate that if you tune into the World Economic Forum, it reminds you so much of tuning into C-SPAN because it is, after all, a world government. And this is their Congress when they get together and decide for the rest of us what their policies will be, whether we like it or not. And there's this boring sort of bureaucratic attitude that pervades the whole thing. But it's kind of weird because at least in Congress, you have the, the two sides, the dichotomy going. And so everybody sort of pretends to be fighting each other. At the end of the day, they all decide on the same things, like with every topic, but recently the uh, legal immigration bipartisanship agreement where the Republicans agreed to give illegal immigrants lawyers and work permits and visas and everything else that the Democrats wanted. They aren't actually fighting each other. So in the American government, they pretend to be fighting each other when in reality they're all on the same team. And then the World Economic Forum, they all pretend to be best friends when, of course, some of these countries are at each other's throats and vying for control of the world. It's it's a weird sort of, it's very familiar. You tune into C-SPAN, you see the way the Congress just, just boringly is droning on and on about some nonsense that you don't really care about. I mean, it's the same with World Economic Forum, but it has a different sort of lilt to it, a different 
tone of the conversation where everybody's pretending to be friends all the time. And again, we'll get into exactly what the uh, World Economic Forum is up to in Davos, Switzerland. We'll show you some videos from that. We have some pretty funny videos as well and some pretty incredible videos of the attack yesterday in Iran. So let's just not waste any more time. Get right into it. Here it is, your Daily Dispatch. All right, folks, here it is, your Daily Dispatch for the 16th of January, 2024. The Iowa caucus was held yesterday and Trump won in a landslide. He won all 99 or no, I'm sorry. He won 98 out of the 99 counties in Iowa. The only county that he lost voted for Biden by 40 points. So, you know, basically the Democrats voted for Nikki Haley and everybody else voted for Donald Trump. The big takeaway is obviously Trump is inevitable. Everybody else should drop out. We should all be unified behind him, which is which is exactly what Vivek Ramaswamy did. Uh, Vivek had about a 7% turnout, which was uh, fourth place behind first Trump, then Nikki Haley, then Ron DeSantis, then Vivek, which is in one sense disappointing. After all, Vivek's campaign was unlike any campaign we've seen since, well, 2016 and Donald Trump running. So it was very fun to get to see him on the campaign trail. I doubt he's going anywhere. He'll probably become a media force for Trump and we'll get to see him, which is kind of what he should have been doing in the first place. But I'm sure we'll see a lot more of him, but I'm not exactly, I I don't think that the, I don't think Vivek's 7% is reflective of his popularity. I think he just, if you would vote for Vivek, you're going to vote for Trump. I think if Trump wasn't in the race, Vivek would have, there would have been a very different situation. I'm not sure if he would have been on top. I'm not sure if he would have been number one, but he certainly would have gotten more than 7%. So I, I don't think that should be seen as a reflection of, you know, that he's unelectable or something. I just think that if you're going to vote for Vivek, you voted for Trump. So I think that kind of should have been expected. After all, he hasn't done too much to differentiate himself from Trump. He basically holds a lot of Trump's positions. He's even more outspoken than Trump on some of these topics. So I think the big takeaway here is that uh, Democrats love Nikki Haley and Trump is inevitable. 99 County. So we'll get a little bit more into that. I mean, the, the numbers are pretty staggering. Trump dominated Iowa like nobody has ever done before. I mean, he got a bigger percentage of votes than ever in the history of Iowa being a, a caucus state, the first caucus state. And next they go to New Hampshire and we'll, of course, be following that as well. But honestly, the fact that Nikki Haley came in second is disturbing. And I think it, it reflects the reality on the ground. It's something that I talk about on this show quite a bit, but I think a lot of people on Twitter saw how popular Vivek was on Twitter and thought DeSantis came in second. That's not what I, it's uh, Ron DeSantis takes second place in Iowa Republican caucuses. Interesting. Interesting. I guess you have different, uh, different ways of looking at it because he didn't win any counties, uh, but uh, Nikki Haley did, but I guess he got, um, more votes than her. I'd seen it reported differently. Uh, looking at uh, 
uh, looking at projections, looks like uh, Trump will walk away with 20, uh, I don't want to call them delegates, but um, yeah, 20, 20 delegates. Uh, Ron DeSantis has eight delegates and Nikki Haley has seven delegates. Vivek Ramaswamy got three uh, delegates in fourth place, but has dropped out. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, Vivek dropped out. He'll be joining the Trump campaign again. And I think actually uh, Owen had a really good take on this, although it's the, it's the Owen 1776 account on Twitter. I can't figure out whether that's, <laughs> whether that's Owen or not, because of course it was being controlled by his friend while he was in jail. And then I guess he, uh, he took it over and he said, uh, untold story tonight, total lack of leadership, incompetence, if not corruption of Rana McDaniel. Tens of millions get spent in Iowa for guaranteed loss and will allow DeSantis and Haley to spend hundreds of millions for a loss instead of rallying behind Trump and spending to defeat the Democrats. And I think that's a very true statement. And that is a major takeaway from Iowa is what are the Republicans doing? You have your nominee. You can stop wasting money. You can stop sniping at each other. You're only hurting your overall chances by being divided at this time. And again, I think uh, Vivek Ramaswamy dropping out was uh, a smart move. I think he took it to uh, as far as he could. But again, as long as Donald Trump's in the race, Vivek Ramaswamy doesn't have a chance because he's he's just alternative Trump. <laughs> so if Trump's available, you take Trump. He's like he's like off-brand Trump. If the brand name is available, you go with the brand name. He's the he's the Dr. B to Trump's Dr. Pepper. That's a that's a that's a Texas. That's a local H-E-B reference. All right. Moving on. Our second story here. Iran launch, uh, Iran launches ballistic missiles against foreign espionage centers in Iraq's Erbil. Multiple large explosions have been reported overnight near the U.S. consulate in Erbil, Iraq. In what appears to be a major escalation from Iran, the Iranian Islamic Guard Corps has already taken responsibility for the attack against what a statement dubbed foreign espionage centers and anti-Iranian terrorist gatherings in parts of the region with ballistic missiles. ABC News is reporting that four people were killed in the fresh missile, fresh missile attack. However, no Americans have been hurt. U.S. officials have told regional media that no American facilities were impacted by the missile strikes in Erbil, even though many initial reports said it took place near the vicinity of the U.S. consulate. Very close in time to this attack, possibly within as little as five minutes of the Erbil incident, Israel launched airstrikes against Iran-linked targets outside Aleppo International Airport in northern Syria. One regional correspondent, Joyce Karam, pointed out Monday... Uh, that Monday had been an exceptional day in terms of number of hugely escalatory events in close in time. She wrote that the Middle East is imploding in one day, which included the following. Attacks on U.S. ships by Yemen, uh, Yemen Houthis, U.S. intercepting a second attack in the Red Sea, Israel strikes in Gaza and Syria, stabbing in a car ramming attack near Tel Aviv, the IRGC uh, attack in Iraq, the IRGC attack in Syria, and we'll get into some of those stories uh, a little bit later as well. Uh, Iranian officials actually have told some media outlets like al Mayadeen that they targeted these spots specifically as uh, they were the places where Americans and Israels were training their ISIS fighters to attack areas inside Iran. So we'll get into that in just a little bit. Meanwhile, Houthi militants have attacked a U.S. container ship with ballistic missiles days after Biden's attack on Yemen. 
So much for the billions in taxpayer funds spent on Operation Prosperity Guardian, the Biden administration's brilliant plan to protect shipping through the Red Sea against Houthi attacks. On Monday, Houthi militants struck another U.S.-owned container ship with anti-ship ballistic missile, underscoring how catastrophic Biden's attempts to protect one of the world's busiest shipping lanes has been. And the world's most important trade artery remains too risky for navigation, despite explicit U.S. guarantees for safe passage. The Giltra... Uh, Gibraltar, Gibraltar Eagle. That's one of the hardest words ever. Gibraltar Eagle. Gibraltar, 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 Gibraltar. A a Marshall Islands flagged U.S. owned and operated container ship. It was struck at about 4 p.m. local time in the Gulf of Aden. U.S. Central Command said on X, nobody was injured. The vessel avoided significant damage and was able to continue its journey. Eagle Bulk Shipping, operator of Gibraltar Eagle, confirmed the ship was hit by a projectile and suffered limited damage to a cargo hold before sailing away from the area it was carrying steel products. The Department of Transportation issued another issued a warning to U.S. merchant ships on Monday, telling them to avoid the area until further notice, thus confirming that Prosperity and Guardian has been a total multi-billion dollar flop. Well, just like everything Biden does. So yes, America has told basically every American shipping vessel, you go ahead and go around Africa. If you could just go around, that would be great. Now there's major concerns that this is interrupting the uh, liquefied natural gas trade. And so, of course, energy prices will continue to skyrocket. Meanwhile, Zero Hedge published this tweet yesterday asking, how is this not the biggest political talking point right now? Since October 2019, native-born U.S. workers have lost 1.4 million jobs. Over the same period, foreign-born workers have gained 3 million jobs. So let me, let me just say that again. Since October 2019, American citizens, American-born citizens have lost 1.4 million jobs. So if there were no foreign-born workers, and you can actually see the uh, divide here lower on, if it weren't for foreign-born workers, this is, un- this is unimaginable, losing 1.4 million jobs from your population. Like, you understand that there's always more jobs. Like, it doesn't even matter how high unemployment gets. It's never in the negative they get upset if 300,000 jobs was created when they expected 400,000. But to go backwards, to lose 1.4 million jobs from your native-born population, that doesn't happen. But then on top of that, you've got the foreign-born population gaining 300 million, or 3 million jobs, rather. So that's the great replacement. That's replacement migration. That's they're taking our jobs. And that's the result of a country that no longer even pretends to actually care about its own citizens and instead does everything it can ever possibly do for everybody else. And that's not white Americans. It's Mexican Americans. It's Hispanic and black and Asian Americans. That's just American-born Citizens, people that were born in this country, losing 1.4 million jobs. People not born in this country, no history, no relation, no loyalty to America, gaining 3 million jobs. 
if that's not deliberate, if that's not replacement migration, I don't know what is. Meanwhile, and finally, we have this. Ukraine urges China to be involved in a Swiss-hosted peace summit. President Volodymyr Zelensky appears increasingly more serious about pursuing peace negotiations to end the war. And this was on display in comments issued by his top aide headed into the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Ukraine's presidential chief of staff, Yermik, on Sunday explained that Kiev now believes it's crucial for China to be at the table for future talks on its peace formula. Quote, China needs to be involved in the talks to end the war with Russia, the Ukrainian top representative said in a diplomatic meeting going into the World Economic Forum. China remains the most influential global South country, widely viewed as squarely in Russia's corner, having refused to rebuke Moscow or jo join Western-led sanctions after two years of conflict. Strangely, they've asked, so the, the story is that Zelensky asked the Swiss to broker a peace agreement, but didn't want Russia to be a part of it? I don't really understand that <laughs> at all. It says Zelensky has successfully cobbled together a peace summit proposed within the context of world leaders gather, gathering in Davos, and the Swiss government has agreed to play official host, and yet Russia, the other crucial party capable of ender, end, uh, ending the war, is not invited. There's a couple, couple odd things about this. Uh, first of all, you're losing the war. You don't get to call for peace. You get to surrender. If you want to surrender, that's what the loser does. <laughs> you're losing the fight. You're saying, okay, let's just, we, maybe we should have a peace agreement. You sort of, you lost that ability. Yeah, you kind of lost that uh, possibility. Back when they offered, Russia offered you peace in 2022 and you rejected it. Now you have no leg to stand on. Now Russia has the weather gauge. Russia gets to decide whether or not this conflict continues because they're winning. So uh, maybe you should surrender. Maybe you should give up because that's your only option at this point. So again, strange, strange that you have uh, the person country being just savagely beaten in this war just overwhelmed in every possible way, calling for peace and then not inviting the victorious party to the summit. It's all very strange. So we'll get into uh, what exactly is happening on that front. But of course, when it comes to NATO, when it comes to the people who have brought Ukraine to this position in the first place, they're gearing up for war with Russia. Now, it may be in a couple months or it may be in 2025, but Germany and Sweden, several other countries are openly and publicly telling their citizens, prepare for war with Russia. They're saying it'll come in 2025. I have information that'll start a little bit sooner than that, as in within the next couple of months. But again, we'll get into exactly what's going on in Ukraine a little bit later as we uh, touch on the Middle East as well. We just visit all of the, the flashpoints across the world where World War III is being ushered in regardless of what the people of the world want. Now, we have a lot of uh, political news to get to today. We're going to go to some videos of Donald Trump, some statements he made yesterday in Iowa showing that he is very serious about once again becoming president 
for all Americans. Uh, before we do that, I want to ask you to go to InfoWarsStore.com. It is the only way that we get funding here at this ultimate headquarters for free speech. And, you know, we do this every once in a while. There's, there's usually a pretty good sale on InfoWarsStore.com, but sometimes there's a combo sale that really maximizes your savings, especially with some of these pricier and, of course, significantly more powerful supplements like DNA Force Plus. DNA Force Plus is 40% off. Real Red Pill Plus, also 40% off. But if you get them together, you can get both for 50% off with the Supercharge or Bodies Defenses sale at InfoWarsStore.com. And, of course, Winter Sun is also a very important supplement to be taking right now as you're probably not getting enough natural vitamin D. That's 40% off. And we have yet another story of the incredible power of vitamin D that we'll get to a little bit later, but I'm telling you, uh, I don't know if it's just my uh, Google News homepage, but I have like a nutrition tab that's there. And every day, almost every day, there's a story about vitamin D. Strange. Maybe it's an algorithmic thing, so I usually click on those. But it's like every day they're figuring out something new about uh, the power of vitamin D. So do your research, look into it. You'll see that if you're experiencing you know, chronic issues, it may very well because be because of a lack of vitamin D. And you can make up for that with Winter Sun Plus at InfoWarsStore.com. So, yes, Donald Trump blasted the competition out of the water in Iowa. And Charlie Kirk says, uh, so I guess this was yesterday at uh, 9, so it's changed a little bit. Trump was winning all 99 counties in Iowa for a full-spectrum win. One of those counties ended up going to Nikki Haley. It was a county that during the 2020 election voted uh, for overwhelmingly for Joe Biden. And a lot of people are speculating that Nikki Haley's success in Iowa was largely due to Democrats doing a little one-day switcheroo. Republicans for a day. Republicans for a day, exactly. That's something you can do in the uh, Iowa caucuses. And there's even a video, I don't even think I pulled it in. I think it was more of a slip of the tongue, but there is a video of uh, one of Nikki Haley's big donors saying, well, lots of Democrats start donating to Nikki Haley. It's like, oh, great. But I think it's important, and tell you what, we'll go to these videos on the other side. We'll come back in with uh, Donald Trump and his victory speech where he promotes unity and, and world peace, something that I really think only he can do. But again, I think, I think we do a pretty good job at InfoWars of – not remaining in our bubble as much as we love Vivek Ramaswamy and just have really supported him powerfully. We never said that he would blow everybody else out of the water, that you're going to be surprised. He's going to sweep it. I, I never really thought that was the case because as much as he's popular on the internet and in particular, our corner of the internet, that's not the American population. I talk about this quite a bit. Like you got to go out and talk to people. You got to tune into the mainstream media. You got to keep an eye on what the normies are thinking. Most people still haven't even heard of Vivek Ramaswamy. Most people still get their news from cable news. They don't even realize that their social media is algorithmically censored. They like Nikki Haley. They like Ron DeSantis. They don't even know who Vivek Ramaswamy is. And this is the thing. You know, a lot of people on our side get this, get this false notion 
of how popular they are or how popular their ideas are because of the echo chambers that we're in. You got to break out of that and you got to realize most Americans are still the Fox News or CNN Americans, as sad as that is. And that's changing, but that's still the case. Trump making his uh, his entrance to the victory party. Yeah, he absolutely swept Iowa yesterday. It's to be expected. Uh, you know, Iowa is massively evangelical Christian. Of course, the evangelicals are devoted to Trump unlike any other demographic. It's going to be different in New Hampshire. You are going from possibly the most religious place in America to one of the least religious places in America. So I wonder how that will change things. But also you're going from one of the more traditional conservative states in Iowa to the more libertarian state of New Hampshire, you know, live free or die. So I wonder what effect that will have. I wonder if Nikki Haley will do quite as well in uh, the libertarian outpost rather than the, uh, rather than the more traditional one. But uh, Trump, I thought gave a very good victory speech. Here's the beginning of it. We'll go down to clip number 15. Well, I want to thank everybody. This has been some period of time. And most importantly, we want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout. What a crowd. And I really think this is time now for everybody our country to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. That's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important. And I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. It's going to happen soon, too. It's going to happen soon. So there's uh, Donald Trump making a very different statement than the type of thing you hear from Biden. Strange, isn't it? The the horrible fascist guy didn't call his enemies domestic terrorists, didn't call for a greater war overseas. He did exactly the opposite, calling for unity in America between Democrats and Republicans, and of course, amongst Republicans of all stripes, and denounces the endless warfare and bloodshed that the establishment thrives on, lives on, really. Now, in terms of the other candidates, I frankly don't know which is more embarrassing, the utter failure of the Ron DeSantis campaign or the victory of the Nikki Haley campaign. I can't figure out which is more shameful and embarrassing, but neither is good. And of course, they they like to... Uh, and Trump narrowly denied clean sweep of Iowa's 99 counties by one vote. Uh, Haley won Johnson County uh, by one vote, I believe. Yeah, yeah, 1271 to 1270. So she won Johnson County by one vote, according to results uh, from the GOP. This, of course, was in the middle of record-breaking low temperatures, showing that the energy on the Republican side, really is there. They called the race, CNN, I believe, called the race for Trump 30 minutes after polls opened. 
that's how overwhelming his victory was. And yet, 30 minutes after polls opened, people still stayed in line all day to cast their vote when it was sort of a foregone conclusion. I believe Ron DeSantis' campaign was kind of upset at this. Like, you can't call it that early because obviously it's going to have a dampening effect if people are going out to vote for Ron DeSantis and then 30 minutes into the polling, Trump has declared the winner. They might choose to just go home instead. So I can, I can get why his campaign would be mad. The thing is, though, it was a foregone conclusion. They could have called the race 30 minutes before the polls closed or opened. They could have called the race yesterday. And it would have been for Trump, and that was obvious from the very beginning. So we'll see how long the other candidates hobble along. Obviously, Nikki Haley is there hoping to make some sort of plea for bipartisanship, which is stupid and wrong and bad. I think we've all for far too long experienced what a Nikki Haley presidency, a Nikki Haley candidacy would represent. Where on one side, you got Joe Biden giving speeches where he's calling every Republican a domestic terrorist, where he's saying if you're a supporter of Trump, you're an ultra-maga fascist danger to the country, giving these terrifying dictatorial addresses in front of a blood red background and then you've got nikki haley going let's just work together with the democrat they're good they're fine yeah i think we're done with that nikki actually thank you thank you for trying but uh we're done with pretending like we don't know how evil and bad the democrats are and of course the only thing that our government agrees on in a bipartisan manner is exploiting the American people and starting wars overseas. So we're done with bipartisanship. That's over. What we need to find now is new common ground to stand on. What we need to do now is to create a new coalition, not of the neoconservatives and the neoliberals coming together to start wars overseas, but what about the anti-war activists on the left and the anti-war activists on the right coming together to bring about peace in the world? Wouldn't that be a change in activity. So I, I think that's really all there is to say about uh, Iowa. Obviously, I think Vivek Ramaswamy 7% does not represent his overall popularity, but rather represents what happens when you've got two Donald Trumps in the race and one of them's the real deal and the other is the uh, younger Indian knockoff. And no offense to, no offense to uh, Vivek, by the way, love that dude. And I think if Trump wasn't in the race, I think Vivek would have done significantly better. I think, in fact, I think probably most of the people that voted for Trump probably vote for Vivek over Ron or Haley. But maybe that's just wishful thinking. But again, it's important not to get too wrapped up in what our side of Twitter has to say about things and understand that for every one of us, and I actually said this on Twitter the other day, for every one of us, for every one person that's like hyper tuned in and spends all day going through the news and watching InfoWars and learning the reality of what's going on behind the scenes, for every one of us, there's at least 10,000 regular dudes just going to work, 
coming home, watching football, you know, maybe catching up on, on the latest Ben Shapiro podcast, right? That's, and that's a lot of people. That's a lot of good people. And that's a lot of potential candidates for awakening, but it's important not to get, uh, not to overestimate the power of alternative media while it is growing, while it is significantly more influential and powerful than ever before in history, it's still very early in this sea change, and the mainstream media still has a very, very, very powerful grasp on especially the boomer generation, the people that are still involved in politics monetarily or by you know, getting out and volunteering and, and voting. And so you can't just ignore that fact and think that because Vivek Ramaswamy goes viral on Twitter, he's going to, that's going to somehow translate into votes. And I think the most important part of the Vivek Ramaswamy campaign wasn't ever his likelihood of victory. It was always the ability for him to be on stage during the debates or to go on Meet the Press and to hammer out some of the talking points that are so successfully kept out of the mainstream media. Ramaswamy's withdrawal could help Trump win in New Hampshire. I really hope that they're in discussions right now in order to Vivek Cur- oh, oh, Nikki corrupt. For some reason, I thought that was a sign saying Vivek correct, <laughs> which would be a very funny sign to hold. But no, I hope uh, Vivek joins the, the Trump campaign. I could see him as a VP, but I think Trump probably has uh, somebody a little higher up the food chain that he'd uh, rather have. But I don't think we've heard the last of Vivek. I expect you hearing a lot more from him in the next year. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Before we move on to some other topics, including what the world government is up to as they meet in Congress in Davos, Switzerland, the war in the Middle East as that spirals out of control, the war in Ukraine as that uh, becomes a foregone conclusion with victory clearly in the grasp of uh, Russia and Ukraine trying desperately to uh, both continue to siphon money from the West uh, while getting a peace agreement as if they're winning. It's all very strange, but we'll get to that as well as uh, some very interesting new information coming out uh, that has come out about perjury in the Oath Keepers trial incontrovertible proof now that the Oath Keepers were convicted on falsified testimony, blatant, fabricated perjury, false testimony. So we'll get to that as well. But let's stay in the realm of uh, presidential politics here. This video was posted by a liberal group hoping to raise the alarm over Trump's Project 2025. They're very scared that Trump might actually do what Biden has been doing the whole time. And they're raising the alarm. Now, Project 2025, unlike what the person you're about to see claims, uh, is not a project from Trump. It's from the uh, Heritage Foundation, I believe. You can go to project2025.org. It's from the Heritage Foundation. They say they're building now for a conservative victory through policy, personnel, and training. And this is the type of thinking I like. I love this, in fact. They say it's not enough 
for conservatives to win elections. If we're going to rescue the country from the grip of, grip of the radical left, we need both a governing agenda and the right people in place ready to carry out this agenda on day one of the next conservative administration. In other words, it's not enough just to win an election and then be hampered and hamstrung and hobbled by the deep state for your entire tenure. It's not enough just to win by electing somebody with an R next to their name and then have them flail incoherently for a few years in Congress, achieving nothing. We have to actually use the power that the people grant to their elected officials in order to reshape the government using more or less the same tactics the leftists have in order to get us into the position that we're now in. So they're raising the alarm about this. They're terrified. And of course, the only way they can make this argument is if they massively exaggerate everything about Project 2025. So let's listen to the hysterical fear-mongering, because that's all they have, right? You hear Trump, and he's like, we're going to bring the country together. We're going to stop the wars overseas. America's going to be great again. It's hopeful. It's optimistic. It's actually a message of really an ideological message of empowerment of the American people. The Democrats have nothing in that regard. All they have is trying to convince you that Trump is orange Hitler and that if he's elected, therefore fascism. Man, that's the argument. That's the one they're making because they're dumb. So let's go now to clip number one, alarm raised over Trump Project 2025. If you haven't heard about Project 2025, stop what you're doing and watch this. Okay. Project 2025 is a plan for Trump's second term that would transform America into a far-right Christian nationalist militarized state. Oh, hell yeah. You can read the nearly thousand page plan for yourself at project2025.org yeah, so you can awesome. know I am not exaggerating. Well, Three are. key facts. Number one, a mass firing purge that Trump authorized before the 2020 election but never got to act on is at the center of Project 2025. Awesome. Now, more than two million Americans across the country are part of the federal civilian workforce. Well, that's Scientists too many. at scientific agencies, doctors at the FDA, accountants at the IRS. We want experts doing jobs that require <laughs> expertise. Let's just pause it, let's just pause it uh, real quick right there. Uh, more than 50,000 uh, 50, of them would be fired. It's a start. It's certainly a start. Two million civilians working in the government to what exactly? Well, the IRS to take your money, the FDA to approve experimental, non-functioning, DNA-manipulating so-called vaccines. I mean, what's the argument here? What's the argument here? Oh, that without the federal government having two million people in its workforce, uh, what? You won't be able to take our money as efficiently? Oh, dear. Oh, no, not the IRS. Please don't de-staff the IRS. And meanwhile, all of these have grown by tens of thousands of employees basically every time a Democrat gets elected into office. So they swell the ranks of these organizations with their activists who – often, if not always, use their power in explicitly political ways in order to target conservative groups for audits or for investigation or to go after their political opponents in every way that they can. So that's the big takeaway from this video. They're very scared that conservatives might actually do what leftists have been doing for the last several decades. So let's go back to the video. 
of them would be fired under this plan and replaced with MAGA loyalists Good. who would use the power of these agencies to yeah. fundamentally change the nature of America without needing to involve Congress. Wow, oh my Number God. Two. Project 2025 is a far-right Christian nationalist agenda. Sweet. By page five, they're already proclaiming pornography should be outlawed. The people who awesome. produce and distribute it should be imprisoned. Yes. Educators and public librarians who purvey it should be classed as registered sex offenders. True. This would be alarming enough if they were talking about actual pornography. But their definition spans anything that acknowledges the existence of LGBTQ people. They claim on such page 451 lie. that families comprised of a uh, married such a mother, father, and their children are the foundation of a well-ordered nation and healthy society. Yeah, let's go ahead and pause Thereby that. Let's, let's pause that. We can back that up uh, just a little bit. So here's what they say. Here's what the actual words are. If we can uh, back it up, they say what literally everybody for the last 15,000 years has understood families comprised of a married mother, father, and their children are the foundation of a well-ordered society, a well-ordered nation, and a healthy society. Duh. Duh. Nobody can argue against that. There's never been a society of any other function or any other uh, you know, com uh, composition. There's always the family at the heart of it. If it's successful, right, you can point to like tribes in Africa where you might have a, a father and a bunch of like a harem, you know, a king and a harem and, and, you know, a bunch of kids. It's not exactly a healthy society. It's not exactly a, a good society. No, every good society is at its heart centered on the family, a father, a mother, and their children. And it doesn't matter how many times you investigate. It doesn't matter how many scientific studies you conduct. You will always, always find that that's the best outcome for raising children. If you want your child to be successful, to be happy, to be strong, to be healthy, a mother and a father is ideal. Now, does that mean that that's the only way anything should be? No, obviously not. Like you could go to, you go to the most strict, you go to some puritanical colony from the 1700s. And you've got widows there. You've got people raising their children alone, right? Does that mean that, that those, those widows are killed and their children murdered and just because it's like, well, if it's not a mother and a father and children, then we can't have it. No, it just means this is the ideal. This is the best possible outcome is a mother, a father, and children. Sometimes that's not the case, but that's the ideal, and that's the only composition that uh, under which a nation can thrive now hear how he mischaracterizes that obvious reality that scientific truth trust the science dude mother father child that's the best science will tell you that over and over again now listen to how he characterizes that simple endorsement of the family structure how's he say it of a married mother father and their children are the foundation of a well-ordered nation and healthy society thereby designating queer people, single parents, unmarried co-parents, and people who get abortions as inherently inferior and a threat to the state. On inherently inferior and a threat to the positive, positive. Okay, so uh, we're going to go back to this video in the, in the first five because the whole thing is this type of uh, fear-mongering nonsense. So I sit here and say, you know, the family is the foundation of the state. A mother, a father, and children is the best form to raise children, and it's the basis for a healthy society. And their interpretation of that 
is you're saying that queers and single parents are innate are inherently inferior and a threat to the state. Well, according to you, uh, the the things that we have to uphold are the number of IRS agents and the access children have to pornography. So, yeah, you're you're a weird wrong person. Uh, I'm, I don't know how to tell you this, but all of the, everything you've heard so far is very normal. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Project 2025 Presidential Transition Project by the Heritage Foundation. Oh, there! the leftists are very scared about this. So far, we've, we've heard the alarm. The warning bells have sounded. If Trump gets elected and he puts into action Project 2025, IRS agents will be replaced with uh, MAGA people, I guess, and you won't be able to give pornography to children, okay? This is the type of fascism we're talking about. No porn for kids, no IRS agents to steal your money, take your taxes, audit small businesses, harass poor people. And worst of all, they actually think that families are important and that mothers, fathers, and children should be supported as the ideal configuration of the citizenry, a practice that is literally as old as civilization itself. These are the threats that are coming from the Heritage Foundation. Basic human morality. My God, how will we ever survive? Okay, so let's, let's continue in this video. I mean, I'm ready to hear... The other fascist elements of this horrifying plan to deprive children of pornography and deprive the IRS with the necessary agents to take your money. I mean, this is this is scary stuff, folks. Let's go back to the, the fear mongering nonsense. On page 584, they call for the Department of Labor to explicitly give companies permission to discriminate against LGBTQ Americans. Oh my God. On page 450, they also declare that life begins at conception. Oh my and God. Abortion is, quote, not health care. <gasps> Accordingly, the FDA. <laughs> Hold on. Would Hold on a second. You're telling me that killing a baby isn't health care, but you keep calling it health care. I mean, actually, you call it abortion care. <laughs> That's their new tactic. You'll notice that the left, they're like, abortion sounds bad. Let's call it abortion care. If we just say care after abortion, then it sounds like health care, and then we can pretend it's health care. It's women's health care. Chopping up a baby while it's alive and then vacuuming it out with a tube and then selling the body parts. So that's not health care. That's murder. Back to the video medications as detailed on page 458 the administration would also seek to strip abortion services and contraception from health plans see pages 483 and 585 number three project 2025 envisions a militarized police state where law enforcement is answerable only to the president Maybe you live in a blue city or state and you think, I don't have to worry about my librarians being imprisoned? Guess again. Page 553 lays out how Trump's Justice Department will take over local law enforcement if they don't like how your own elected officials are running things. And they will prosecute district attorneys that they don't agree with. The plan also stripped the FBI director of their independence, making them a lackey of the president. See page 549. 
And on page 104, the plan reduces the number of military generals, so power is more fully consolidated in the commander-in-chief. A central focus of the new police state would be Trump's goal of undertaking the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. Immigration enforcement is to be conducted like a war, with the military deployed within the U.S., and millions of immigrants rounded up and thrown into newly constructed mass holding camps. Oh my Border Security and Immigration Agency would replace the Department of Homeland Security. See page 133. This would also mean the DHS's efforts to combat far-right domestic terrorists would stop altogether. Oh my God! One plan that is not <laughs> in the public document. Yeah, so I mean, the they literally, they literally are just saying that if uh, Trump gets elected, he's going to stop all of the illegal activity of the Biden administration. Uh, all everything he just said is. Uh, Veritable, veritable good. It is a absolute necessity for us to get back on track. Yeah, we're going to deport illegal immigrations. Yes, we're going to stop you from giving out pornography to children. And by the way, if you don't want a centralized federal militarized police force, it may be Black Lives Matter. Shouldn't have gotten rid of all the local ones. You absolute morons. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the American Journal. I'm your host, Harrison Smith. I could go through every second of that video. I mean, the whole thing's like five minutes long, four and a half minutes long. So we didn't even get to finish it out. But it's so, it's so strange, the, the, the fear-mongering they have to, uh, they have to delve into. And it, re- it really just, it goes to show you what their priorities are. I mean, I would, I would almost love time machine you could maybe just like the 90s i'm not sure how far you'd have to go back it wouldn't be very far maybe the 90s where you would just show this to somebody and it's just they would be very confused at why you're explaining the basic functions of government you've got this guy like if trump gets into office he'll deport illegal immigrants person in the 90s just like yeah what <laughs> yeah that's what you do to illegal. Sorry, am I missing something here? What What's the bad thing that you're warning about? Oh well, well he, they say that uh, pornography shouldn't be given by librarians and elementary school teachers to, to children. And they're like, what? What is going on? <laughs> what? Okay, so he wants to shrink the size of government by firing fifty thousand people out of a employee count of 2 million? Do we really think we need 2 million people in our country? It's like a, and it's probably a lot more than that when you, you know, go out to contractors of the federal government, like not explicitly government employees, but those who work with and for the federal government, but in a private capacity, you're probably talking about 1% to 5% of the entire working population working for the federal government. That's not how this country is supposed to work. So that's a good thing. You're going to want to fire all those people. You're going to want to get them out of the way of the people that actually produce things. I mean, think about how vanishingly small the productive members of American society are. Think about all the people on welfare who don't have jobs. Think about all the people that are unemployed and are relying on handouts from the government. Of course, you have the unemployed people that are working for work and looking for work and can't find it. They're the unemployed people. But as soon as you just give up completely and go 
fully into subsistence uh, dependency mode, well, you're not even listed in the unemployment numbers anymore. Then think about all the illegal immigrants you have on welfare. Then think about all of the you know, children that compromise the 350 million population of this country. Then think about the millions of federal employees who create nothing of value and whose salaries and benefits are paid entirely by the productive citizens. Then think about all of the private contractors that subsist on federal dollars that, again, are taken from the productive citizens. I mean, you're talking about, I don't know, what, 10% of this country is funding everybody else? There's like 10% of this population that actually creates value, creates wealth, creates prosperity, and then everybody else is just leeching off of them? I don't know. What do you guys think? Like 20, is it, I mean, is it even 25%? That seems like high to me. 25% of Americans being actually uh, productive adults, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, eventually we'll probably get to a situation like South Africa in our South Africanization of, of our culture. In South Africa, 50% of their population is 100% reliant on the government. 50% of their population, half of their people create nothing and rely entirely on handouts from the government. That's where we're headed with no hint that we're going to slow down anytime soon. Again, they talk about the militarized police state. I mean, it's strange because on one hand, it's projection, right? It's under Democrats that the Capitol Police have started satellite offices in every major city, federal centralized police force, tasked with guarding the Capitol, now has high-tech surveillance drones flying over Miami, okay? This is exactly what he's fear-mongering. Trump might do. They're literally already doing it. The FBI is kicking down the door of Catholic fathers for protesting at abortion clinics and hauling them away at gunpoint in front of his seven kids. And, of course, we've said since the very beginning of Black Lives Matter that defunding the police is really just an excuse to centralize the police, and we have it in their own documents, the Friends of Democracy documents that were leaked, the organizing documents for the Freddie Gray riots that were orchestrated by the Soros-funded so-called activist group who say in their own documents that the point of this is to centralize and federalize police forces by demonizing and discrediting and disempowering local police forces. So we've been in favor of the local police forever. Democrats held 10,000 riots to destroy local police. And now they're saying, but if you elect Trump, he's going to have a federalized police force that's going to overpower, they say, DAs they disagree with. I mean, is anybody buying this? Well, they disagree with them? Well, that DA, that DA likes Burger King and I like McDonald's, so I'm going to charge him. Like, it's not because they disagree with him. It's because those DAs keep letting out criminals who go on to victimize innocent people. It's because those DAs were swept in on an anti-police, fabricated, organized, orchestrated agenda, which has left the people of America hugely unsafe and desperate for some semblance of law and order. So, it, you know, half of it is like they're already doing it, and they're just mad that 
Trump might also do it, right? They're already have these plans in place for their side. And to the, and again, I don't even know if it's like cognitive dissident. I don't think they even realize that they're doing it. I think like they're just so ideologically driven and like they're so subsumed in this idea of they're the good guys and everybody else is the bad guys. Like, I, don't, I don't think it's a matter of like, if you go, well, that's what you do. And they're just like, well, yeah, yeah, because we're the good guys. You know, when we put people in positions of power that then abuse that power to go after our enemies, you know, that's because they're the loving good people. And I don't know if it's a conscious thing or if they're, you know, they're, they literally think that they're doing the right thing. I don't know if you understand what I mean, but the point is that, you know, nobody on the right does anything even remotely close to what the left does. And look at the DA or is it the special prosecutor in New York City that literally got elected by saying, if you elect me, I will charge Donald Trump with something. I will go after Trump. I will, you know, tie him up legally and, and bankrupt his companies. And that's what she said on the campaign trail. Then she got elected and then she did it. So that's what they do. They put people in positions of power who then abuse that power completely. Not like in addition to actually fulfilling their role. Like all they do is abuse their power. They let out the murderous criminals and they go after Trump over his property values. That's all they do. So, I mean, the projection is unrelenting and infuriating. And again, by, by pointing out the things that they're scared of, what they're really pointing out is the things that they want. Again, I mean, this is very scary to them. It's very scary that the government would support families. It's very scary that they would deprive little children of pornography. It's very scary that the IRS wouldn't have the manpower to fund their outrageous and despotic uh, programs. They're very, they're very scared that they won't control the militarized federal police. Not that there will be a militarized federal police. They're completely in favor of that. They, I mean, this is how far gone they are. They actually say that by opposing the FBI's unquestioned, unrelenting, and illegal power to persecute American citizens— that's really the defund the police movement. They say the Republicans are trying to defund the police. They don't like the FBI. No, we don't like the FBI being partisan tools of a fabricated anti-white, anti-Christian, anti-American agenda where they've completely arbitrarily classified the most peaceful people in America as somehow being the domestic terrorist number one threat to America. So they, you know, these people don't care about a centralized federal police force. They want it on their side to destroy their enemies, and they're very mad that their enemies might actually get control and turn it around on them, which we'd love to see. And they're very scared that they might actually deport illegal immigrants. All this is very normal, period. That's it. It's just that they just... It's all obvious. It's all very normal. It's all very, you can't even argue against it. So instead, they have to just completely take everything out of context. And by saying, yeah, the family is the basis of our society, 
they somehow translate that in their own minds to mean that uh, they think single mothers should be killed or something. But it's all complete nonsense. You know, yesterday there was a video that went a little bit viral of a Trump supporter being interviewed and asked if Trump would be a dictator. And the guy's like, we need a dictator. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I hope. That'd be great. And everybody, of course, flipping out about this. Now, obviously, the, the term dictator has a new meaning in the modern world. There was a thing called a dictator in ancient Rome. Cincinnati is named after one. George Washington was called the American Cincinnatus. And in fact, his officers had a society, a club called the Society of Cincinnatus. All of Washington's commanders and their descendants are still in that club, actually. Cincinnatus was a, a dictator, which in Rome, basically it meant, so consulships, it's like their presidency, you'd be a consul for one year. And, and later there were two consuls, but you'd be consul for one year. I guess there was always two consuls. Uh, but under an emergency situation, they would appoint a dictator, and that dictator would essentially be the consul or the, the ultimate power until the crisis was solved, and then they would give up the office. And that happened with Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnatus, happened with Diocletian, happened with several others. It was an uh, extreme reaction to an existential threat that the country faced. And in a lot of ways, it was necessary for them. And you can look at things like um, Hannibal. When Hannibal invaded Rome, it was looking very much like Rome was going to go down. I mean, they at the Battle of Cannae, they lost their entire army. And there was basically nobody between Hannibal and Rome if he wanted to siege the city. He unfortunately chose, chose a, a different tack, unfortunately for him. But they appointed this guy, Fabius, to be dictator, to deal with the Hannibal threat. And Fabius employed the Fabian strategy, which was instead of going out and fighting Hannibal head on because they kept losing when they did that, he would instead just take as long as possible. He, it was just a, it was a policy of um, slow but steady willowing away, winnowing away of Hannibal's power. And it was necessary for him to be dictator to do this because nobody thought this was a good idea. Nobody thought that that's what they should be doing. You've got this giant army with nothing between it and Rome, and they're like, we have to go out and fight it. And Fabian instead said, no, we're just going to do everything we can not to fight that army. And that ended up being successful, and Rome was still around after Hannibal, thanks to that strategy, a strategy that never would have been implemented if it had been put to a vote or if it had been democratized in any sort of way or even up for debate, but they appointed that guy dictator. He had ultimate power and unquestionable authority. He implemented a plan that was uh, successful and succeeded. All that to say that what America faces now is an existential crisis. And in addition to that, a bureaucratic deep state that is now openly operating in complete contradiction to the will of the American people in abject disobedience to the Constitution, completely unrestrained by anybody that we can vote for, right? So they're not voted for. They're not accountable. 
They do whatever the hell they want, and everything that they do is in opposition to and contrary to what is good for America. So I don't know how we get out of this, but I simply pointed out on, on Twitter, you know, Cincinnati's actually named after a dictator. These words were always not as, uh, as dirty as they are now. And the real threat is that somebody becomes a dictator for life, like Xi Jinping or Hitler or something like that. But somebody, somebody commented on it saying, you know, like, well, if you want to live in a country with a dictator, there's plenty out there. And I just thought, no, we, I live in one. I live in a country with a dictator. Joe Biden, for all intents and purposes, is absolutely a dictator. I mean, what qualifies somebody as a dictator? What qualifies somebody as a tyrant? Is it that they enjoy special protection against the laws of their own state, a protection that they extend to family members to become untouchable as they're able to violate the law with impunity and the whole system is too afraid to hold them to account? If you could check that checkbox out immediately, is it that they use the power of the state in particular, the just the judicial branch of the state in order to target and punish their political opponents or dissident citizens. You can put a big old check mark next to that one. After you can put about 12, one for each of the completely frivolous and nonsensical lawsuits against Donald Trump that have been launched and coordinated by the Biden administration. We've seen revelations over the last week or so that every single one of the people who is prosecuting Donald Trump, whether in the position of a district attorney or a prosecutor or the people working with the prosecutors, they all routinely visit the Biden White House for instruction on how to proceed against Donald Trump. So Biden imprisons his political opponents. The innocent citizens get sent to prison for decades for peacefully protesting, just like a dictator would do. His political opponents and, and you know, the people actually running against him, the politicians that pose a threat to their political power, are being inundated with falsified trials. And it's always sort of amazing to me. I brought it up before, but it's amazing to me when people say, oh, but they, but they went to a trial, right? Oh, but he had a trial. And it's like, do you... Have you ever studied a historical dictatorship? Have you ever even remotely been curious about how something like that happens? You think in the Soviet Union, they didn't have trials? Think in Nazi Germany, they didn't have trials? Of course they have trials. They're called show trials. They're play acting. The regime wants somebody eliminated, so they have to go through the song and dance of pretending that they give them a fair shot. This is how dictatorships work. Okay, so he punishes, he prosecutes his political enemies, both imprisoning dissidents and uh, harassing and, and, and abusing judicial powers against his political opponents in the political sphere. They censor dissident press, right, which of course they've done, especially through social media, but you have federal agents 
inside social media companies actively censoring individuals or individual stories or whole swaths of the population secretly in complete contradiction to the limitations of the Constitution, but they do it anyway. So they censor the press, especially the dissident press. They also have an incredibly loyal lapdog press in the mainstream media. And in fact, there was a story last week from a mainstream news article that was like, Biden administration holds high-level meeting with press around the country to demand better coverage. That's a thing a dictator does. And of course, the press is perfectly willing to go along with it. Like You can't be a dictator in a truly free country because in a truly free country, the dictator calls in the editor of a magazine, editor of a news station, and says, we're a little unhappy with your coverage of our administration. In America, the response should be, then do a better job. You want good coverage, stop being awful at what you do. But instead, we live in a dictatorship where everybody is participating at the highest level, where for decades, these people have insinuated themselves into positions of power in order to coordinate their actions. So when Joe Biden goes and says, uh, you're not being nice enough to the president, your, your media outlet needs to cover us more favorably, they say, oh, we'll do the best we can, Mr. Biden. We're, we're sorry. I mean, we got to have some sort of level of fairness, and you really are awful, but we'll, we'll do better. We'll do better in portraying your administration as positive. So, of course, they go along with it. They agree, and that's what happens in a dictatorship. You have a friendly press. You censor the dissident press. You are, of course, immune to the consequences of your actions. You are never held to account for your illegal activity, even as you hold your opponents to account for exactly the same activity. And as most dictators do, you extend that protection to your family and friends and people like Hunter Biden. I mean, Hunter Biden's stunt, you know, walking out of, of Congress in just blatant contempt. And is it really that unlike you know, Saddam Hussein's kids, you know, Usay and Uday, right? It's like Uday Biden. That should be Hunter's nickname, Usay Biden, because they're these privileged, pompous, untouchable criminals that flaunt their immunity to justice. So this is what a dictator is. He, of course, but Biden dehumanizes his own citizens if they're against him, he calls them terrorists. He says they're a threat to democracy. He calls them fascists and ultra-maga extremists. How do you think Hitler talked about the communists? I mean, this is, he's a dictator. So if you want to talk about the danger of, of living under a dictator, it's time you look around. And that's really the ultimate takeaway. These people don't care about tyranny. They don't care about dictatorship. They love it. They want it. For now, it's on their side, they think. They don't, they don't care about the underlying values that oppose dictatorship. They don't care about the morality that says that if you're appointed to a position in the government, you should use it to fulfill its obligations and not to serve your own interest. They, they could not care less. They constantly do everything that they can to bring about and reinforce this, this dictatorship. They're just very scared that Trump might do something 
quite similar. And you've got the show trials, you've got the federal police, you've got the manipulation of the Justice Department and the media. Yeah, we live in a dictatorship, folks. It checks all the boxes. There's not one missing. One takeaway from what's going on in the Middle East, it's that America, under four years of Joe Biden, basically basically been relegated to second-class power. I mean, it. Uh, the timeline is really just embarrassing. And it's, it's from every front, right? We go to Israel to demand that they limit civilian casualties. They completely ignore us, and we send them billions of dollars. We go again over and over to Israel, making the same demand and getting the same response, or making other demands like two-state solution, only for the Israeli parliament to come out with settlement plans. And they're already recruiting colonists to move into Gaza to take it over and annex it completely into Israel. So we have no influence over our supposed ally whatsoever. Can't get the slightest concession. And yet we fund and support them completely and do their bidding in, in the international realm at every possible chance. But that's our ally. So we have no power over them. And yet we provide them everything they could ever possibly want. So we're just cucked as a nation in that regard. But then you look at the enemies. Now, we warned the Houthis to stop attacking ships. And then they kept attacking ships. And we warned Iran not to get involved. And then Iran got involved. Nobody is taking our threats seriously. Because why would they? Why should they? This is a, a game of geopolitical chess, and we're down bad. So in the last few days, uh, Houthi militants attack U.S. container ship with ballistic missile days after Biden attack on Yemen. And Zero, Zero Hedge puts it, so much for the billions in taxpayer funds spent on Operation Prosperity Guardian, the Biden administration's brilliant plan to protect shipping through the Red Sea against Houthi attacks. And remember, it was supposed to be, we're going to have a broad coalition to oppose the Houthis. And it's like us and like Sierra Leone, like there's some other random country that nobody could find on a map that's like, yeah, we'll be on your team, America. And then the UK as well. But the UK can't even send aircraft carriers because they can't staff them. They don't have enough staff to actually run their aircraft carriers. So they can't even join us in the, in the region with actual help. So it's just us alone, us and Israel, Israel and their little lapdog America going against the Houthis who don't seem even remotely intimidated by this whatsoever. And then, uh, so we launch attacks against the Houthis. They don't care and keep launching attacks against us. And you actually, then it's followed up by this attack by Iran bombing, as they put it, espionage centers in Iraq's Erbil. Remember, Iraq is kicking us out as well. They don't want us there anymore either. And this is kind of why, you know, Iraq got mad at Iran over this. But if Iraq didn't have American bases, then their country wouldn't be targeted. So they're continuing to do everything they can to uh, kick us out. So it may very well be that because of this conflict in Gaza, America completely loses its foothold or any influence we have over the Middle East. 
meaning that the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan were completely wasted. Like at least now we have bases there. And that's what we got, right? We killed half a million people and spent trillions of dollars and humiliated ourselves on the world stage and killed thousands of our own people. At least we have bases in Iraq, right? I mean, hey, it's all worth it for bases in Iraq. But we might lose those too. So we'll just have nothing, no influence, and leave the field wide open for our geopolitical enemies to take over. And that's what's uh, certainly happening. But remember, two days before the attack by Iran, here's what Joe Biden said, clip number 16. Here's Joe Biden two days ago. And now he's uh, wandering and lost. Oh, they're so scared. He's like, hold on, I, I have a young lady to abuse. Hold on, I've got to creep this young lady out real quick. He's talking to the wall. And he's going to sniff the girl. <laughs> Not even kidding. That's literally what he does. <laughs> God dang it. Uh, so, yeah, that's our president. Very giving a very powerful. I already talked to Iran. They know not to do anything. They're not doing anything. And he literally is like trying to get away from the reporter so he can literally sniff a teenage girl who is, seems very uncomfortable with this. Like I'm not I'm not usually a big fan of body language interpretation. I think it's sort of the, the horoscope of true crime. People study body language, and it's, it's the only purpose of it is to uh, confirm what they already believe. <laughs> it's, it's, it is a complete pseudoscience, nonsensical BS practice, body language. But there are certain cases where the body language is so strong, it becomes undeniable. And that's one of them, where you've got Joe Biden leading into this girl, and she's just like, oh, God, he's coming closer. So I'm sorry. So Joe Biden obviously has uh, more important things to do than talk about the world war he's starting. But he says there, you know, Iran, they're not going to mess with us. They know better than to start anything. And you just hear in the distance. It's like, what's that? What was that noise? Oh, that was Iran completely ignoring your threats and actually uh, bombing the consulate. Incredible. Incredible. Iran is, is not going to do any, anything without it telling us. And as they point out in this uh, Zero Hedge article, the Middle East is imploding. In one day, there was a U.S. Uh, attack on U.S. ships by Yemeni Houthis. Uh, U.S. intercepted a second attack in the Red Sea. Israel striked Gaza and Syria. There was a stabbing and a car ramming near Tel Aviv and an attack in Syria by Iran, as well as this ballistic missile attack against the uh, Mossad headquarters, the espionage center in Erbil. And as a result of the Houthi attacks and the Iranian intervention, U.S. warns its ships to avoid South Red Sea until further notice. U.S. warns its merchant ships of potential for Houthi retaliation. U.S. Department of Transportation previously had given ships 72-hour warning. So again... Don't mess with us, Houthis, or we will rain pain on you. And they're just like, uh, what? Sorry, I, don't, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry, we just hit another ship. What, what were you saying? So we launch attacks 
Then they keep launching attacks, and now we're like, you know what? Americans just avoid the Red Sea area completely. We are powerless to stop the Houthis. That's what we're admitting there. Now, some other interesting statements have been made by Iran. Idlib sources to Al-Mayadeen, the area where ISIS Khorasan militants are being trained and are being transported by the Americans to Afghanistan in the Iranian border to launch strikes inside Iran. So they're claiming that some of the areas that they were targeting are hotbeds of ISIS recruitment, as if you've ever looked at a map, you'll notice a very mysterious confluence, a very mysterious situation where everywhere there's an American CIA base, there also happens to be a lot of ISIS activity. Hmm. Isn't that kind of strange? And as ISIS fighters come out of these areas, they all seem to be trained and armed by some foreign force, and we can't figure out what this is. So literally the Iranian regime, the Iranian missile attacks were against ISIS outposts and American outposts, and they're the same outposts. Okay. Iran launches missile, atta- missile strikes in Iraq and Syria, citing security threats. Oh, by the way, ISIS also claimed responsibility for the bombing that killed uh, – it was a bombing of the uh, – was a Syrian or, or Iranian military class that was graduating that uh, ISIS attacked and bombed. Isn't it weird? Isn't that so weird how ISIS – always seems to attack the enemies of America and Israel. That's so strange. They go after Assad. They go after Iran. They've never attacked Israel in their life, this uh, Islamic State. Isn't that bizarre and strange? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be joined in the next hour by Courtney Turner. She is really issuing a call to action. Comments are necessary to stop a dangerous new project from the SEC. Very excited to talk to her about that. I do want to remind you to go to InfoWarsStore.com to support us. It's the only way that we get funding, and whether it's the American Journal, the War Room, the Alex Jones Show, all of the great content creators we have at Band.Video, the website itself, InfoWars.com, and the awesome writers and incredible articles that are posted there. It is all 100% brought to you by you, the American people. When you go to InfoWarsStore.com, take advantage of our massive sales. This one is a combo sale. Supercharge your body's defenses with DNA Force Plus and Real Red Pill Plus. Get each individually at 40% off, but get them both at 50% off when you buy the combo. And of course, it keeps us on the air. And we are utterly unique as a information source and It's not bragging to say we have been right about just about everything. And from the very beginning of the conflict in the Middle East, we have more or less held the same line. Uh, Our our prognosis has more or less been exactly correct. The only thing that we may have – that I personally may have gotten a little bit wrong was expecting Hezbollah to get involved more forcefully earlier on. That's not to say it's not coming, and the attacks against Israel by Hezbollah have been really continuous, like multiple a day. Every day when I wake up, there's more news about more targets being hit. The latest was a, a missile array in Lebanon was taken out by Hezbollah, but they, they launch about 7 to 10 
operations daily in the north, and the entire north of Israel is depopulated now with a huge percentage of the Israeli population not able to access their homes in the northern part of the country and are living elsewhere in the country. That's not the case in southern Lebanon. The southern Lebanese are still there. The northern Israelis have fled. Nothing is out there to say that this is going to reverse anytime soon. This seems to be the new calculus that we all have to deal with. So the IRGC announced details of its operation in Erbil, saying it targeted the headquarters of Mossad spies in Kurdistan, Iraq, and the headquarters of terrorist leaders and members linked to the recent terrorist attacks in Iran, mainly ISIS terror cells. Obviously, the underlying point of this is that ISIS is, in fact, a proxy army for Israel and America, which has actually been proven as one of the main ISIS commanders was actually discovered to be a Mossad agent himself, one that was arrested um, very recently. I say last night the headquarters of Mossad and terrorists were destroyed, and this action means to them that Iran is monitoring all their attempts and that they must refrain from committing any mistake against Iran. So Iran not exactly not exactly feeling very intimidated by America's chest-thumping and threats against them. However, we are attempting to fulfill those threats. U.S. to send 1,500 troops to Syria and Iraq. Multiple factions in the region have been conducting operations in an attempt to kick U.S. troops out of the region. The U.S. is set to send 1,500 soldiers to Syria and Iraq, ostensibly in order to join the fight against ISIS. Uh-huh. The soldiers will be sent from the New Jersey Army National Guard and its largest deployment of soldiers to the area since 2008. The deployment of troops to Syria and Iraq falls under Operation Inherent Resolve, the U.S. military campaign against the Islamic State across Iraq, Libya, and Syria, which calls for combating ISIS and defending U.S. bases against resistance groups in the region. The military operation caused a large number of U.S. personnel deployments in the, into the region this year. But, of course, that has nothing to do with it. ISIS is, for all intents and purposes, destroyed ever since Donald Trump took care of them. And the attacks that ISIS is carrying out now are almost exclusively against the enemies of America, Iraq, uh, Iran, and Syria. Within the latter half of 2023, the U.S. sent a wave of 2,500 soldiers to Syria and deployed over 900 soldiers to Iraq on two separate occasions. The deployment of these soldiers was to protect U.S. interests against Iran-affiliated forces. According to Axios, the U.S. military presence in the region reached about 45,000 as of October 2023. The majority is in Kuwait with 13,500, followed by Bahrain at 9,000 and Qatar at 8,000. The U.S. deployment to Syria and Iraq to combat ISIS raises questions. According to the U.S. State Department, ISIS attacks in Syria have decreased by 68% and 80% in Iraq compared to 2022. But it's like, I mean, yeah, it has nothing to do with ISIS. I mean, it's just stupid. <laughs> Obviously, it has nothing to do with ISIS. Obviously, it has to do with the threats of Iraq kicking America out. And the threat of Syria and Hezbollah teaming up to expel America from that country. And the threat of Iran and the Houthis and Hezbollah in Iraq from targeting American bases. So we're putting more people in the line of fire. 
The U.N. is warning that Red Sea tensions may become impossible to contain. The current instability in the Middle East may soon spiral completely out of control, U.S. Secretary General Gutierrez said in a press conference in New York on Monday. He once again addressed the, tri the crisis triggered by events of October 7th. The civilian death toll in Gaza has resulted in widespread international condemnation of Israel's actions and has already drawn the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah and Yemen's Houthis into the conflict. Tensions are also sky high in the Red Sea and beyond and may soon be impossible to contain, Gutierrez said, adding that he's concerned that daily exchanges of fire risk triggering a broader escalation between Israel and Lebanon and profoundly affecting regional stability. With the Secretary General condemned the actions of Hamas, he also blasted the Israeli operation as collective punishment of the Palestinian people, saying it caused an unprecedented level of civilian casualties, while noting the vast majority of those killed are women and children. Yeah, the UN warning that uh, these tensions may be impossible to contain, as if containment is even desired by the people involved. Everything they're doing seems to be solely dedicated to expanding this conflict as rapidly as possible and attempting to impose some sort of intimidation on the people in the region who don't fear America anymore. So that's not going to work. I, I don't know what else to tell you, but it's like America still thinks it's the 90s or something? Like, we still think that we're just going to sweep in and, and wipe the board like it's the first Gulf War where we lost, like, 75 people and won the war? That's not the case anymore. And the people who actually have the power in the region are really letting it be known what little stock they put in American threats. Nasrallah, head of Hezbollah, says Israel is mired in failure. U.S. intimidation is futile. He spoke at the one-week anniversary of the martyrdom of resistance leader Wissam Tawil, uh, addressing developments in Gaza and the reason Israel is mired in failure and stuck in a deep hole that it dug in the Gaza Strip, uh, Nasrallah said, speaking at the one-week anniversary. He said their, uh, the people of Gaza, their steadfastness is legendary for 100 days, Gaza and its people continue to steadfastly resist in a legendary manner that history has not witnessed the attacks by Israel. Israel is mired in failure and stuck in a deep hole it has dug in the Gaza Strip, as its analysts confirm, and it has not achieved any victory or even an image of victory, the Secretary General of Hezbollah explained, highlighting Israel's military failures in the Gaza Strip. The enemy is still fighting... Uh, fighting to achieve some sort of achievement before moving to the third phase of the war in which will reposition its deployed forces. Reflecting on mounting Israeli losses, Nasrallah stressed that this point is further confused, has further confused the occupation, especially considering its reports revealed by Israeli media regarding the presence of 4,000 disabled soldiers in its military ranks in only 100 days, a number that may rise and reach 30,000. So 40,000 casualties on the Israeli side is absolutely massive. And as far as I can tell, they've done very little to actually damage Hamas. They haven't even regained their hostages yet. I think maybe they rescued like two hostages, but the others were done in an exchange during the brief ceasefire, brief pause that occurred a little while ago. But they haven't done any real tangible damage to Hamas 
uh, as a military force. Hezbollah vows to continue war of attrition to keep Tel Aviv in defeat position. The resistance movement has vowed to continue its war of attrition against Israel in support of Palestinian victims. They made this remark on Sunday. As basically they, they see themselves as having the upper hand and think if this continues like this, they have victory. And they're basically saying, America, you can stop trying to intimidate us. You can't defeat us. Lazarus. 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 David Lazarus, special agent. Nancy Pelosi's head of security. Did Pelosi's security chief perjure himself on the very night of the release of this story? The House has voted to oust the Speaker. We lost our Speaker of the House. The moment McCarthy, his seat was vacated, I lost my ability to release the video. We were given permission to use a single screenshot. Therefore, the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana, duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. Of course, now we have a new Speaker in place. now have permission to release the video. for DOJ prosecutors. The biggest sedition trial in America in 80 years. The highest profile trial to date related to the January 6th attack. The Justice Department has rested its case in the seditious conspiracy trial against Oath Keeper's founder, Stuart Rhodes, and four of his associates. The story of David Lazarus on January 6th is very simple. Lawyers for Stuart Rhodes and four other members of the Oath Keepers on trial have suggested that the group helped Officer Harry Dunn. Dunn just took the stand and said flat out, quote, they didn't. Sentenced to four years in prison. Sentenced to eight and a half years in prison. Sentenced to 12 years in prison. Sentenced to 18 years in prison. His story that day is he was assisting the evacuation of the Senate at the time that the incident between Officer Harry Dunn and the Oath Keepers began. Keepers lined up between him and the more agitated protesters and assisted him in keeping them off of him. Don rejected the defense's argument that members of the militia protected him. I don't conflate my story. He had two separate FBI interviews which were in conflict with one another. In the first FBI interview, he actually gave a favorable story about his encounter with the four Oath Keepers. And he stood in front of Harry Dunn for almost six minutes. After he was brought in for his second FBI interview, he changed that story. He was fighting back insurrectionists across the Capitol while being called the vilest racist names. So what they did is they brought in another officer, special agent David Lazarus, to kind of bolster that story and give it more credibility by saying that when he arrived at the top of those stairs, that he saw Dunn standing at the top of the stairs being hassled by these Oath Keepers. 
At the time the Harry Dunn Oath Keepers encounter began, he was not in the same building. All right, folks, this Lazarus is an exclusive report from The Blaze about this guy Lazarus and Harry Dunn. Harry Dunn, by the way, is now running for Congress based off of the fame that he got for lying about the Oath Keepers and sending innocent men to prison for decades based on his testimony. So they prove incontrovertibly, beyond any doubt whatsoever, that the testimony delivered by Lazarus, who claimed he saw the Oath Keepers attacking Harry Dunn, is absolutely perjurous, is absolutely falsified. Could He could not have seen what he said he saw. What he said he saw never actually happened. In reality, the Oath Keepers actually stood in front of Harry Dunn and protected him from other people. So, I mean, this is the thanks you get, right? The Oath Keepers actually put themselves, their own bodies, in between Harry Dunn and potentially violent protesters, protect Harry Dunn. Harry Dunn, in turn, throws them under the bus, testifies that they were attacking him. Lazarus says he sees this take place. They go to jail for decades in some cases. That's the thanks you get. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the American Journal. I'm your host, Harrison Smith. Very happy to welcome my guest, Courtney Turner. She's the host of the Courtney Turner podcast, which can be found at CourtneyTurner.com and on Rumble at Courtney Turner, one word. She's with us today to talk about the SEC's proposed rule, rule change for natural asset companies, which threatens property rights of rural landowners, farmers, and ranchers in America. You can follow Courtney on X, x.com slash uh, Courtney Turner on Rumble and, of course, CourtneyTurner.com. Thank you so much for joining us here, Courtney, for this uh, real urgent call to action. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's super urgent there. Uh, they extended the comments on the ruling to Thursday. So so that's the, yeah. the call to action is we need our audience to spread the word and to actually go and make comments on this in opposition to the rule change. Tell us about the rule change and, and what uh, is involved in all of this. Okay, so they are presenting a new class of companies up on the New York Stock Exchange. And this is a total conflict of interest because the New York Stock Exchange is double dipping here. They are actually a partner in this whole uh, NACS or NAC, which stands for Natural Asset Companies. And what they're doing is they're literally trying to commodify natural resources. So things like the air we breathe, you know, the the land, uh, minerals, so uh, oils and uh, lithium, all sorts of mineral extraction are going to be a part of this. Um, so there's uh, water is included in this. This is really pretty terrifying. And they have it was the intrinsic exchange uh, group who has uh, partnered with the New York Stock Exchange. And the intrinsic exchange group is uh, backed by people like the IBD, IBD Lab, Abadir Ventures, who is a, they're a venture capital company, but they're very involved mostly in like healthcare technology, which, which I don't think is a coincidence. I think that that is very uh, integral to what's going on here. And then entertaining ideas who I couldn't find anything about. And uh, then of course, one of their primary backers is the Rockefeller Foundation. And then some of their sub uh, backers are people like the Wildlife 
uh, organization, which is, of course, the brainchild of Julian Huxley, uh, you know, one of the forerunners of UNESCO, who is, uh, he was coined the term transhumanism, and he's uh, famous for his, you know, quote, uh, based, I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but essentially, you know, the Malthusian principle that we have limited resources and therefore we need to depopulate the planet. And uh, yeah, so though that's very much in line with what's going on here. And as usual with these, uh, you know, kind of masters of Fabian principles, they're masters of incrementalism. So they've been building this for literally decades and now they're ready to put the lid on it or pull the trigger, so to speak. They have created a whole new accounting system because the gap generally accepted accounting principle do not apply here because typically uh, things that have value are like products that you create, things that you can sell, things that have some sort of tangible value, not things like photosynthesis. Yes, photosynthesis is actually included in this. Um, so they've created a whole new system and it's based on the UN's SEEA ecosystem accounting. SEEA stands for Systems of Economic uh, environmental accounting, ecosystem accounting, and is essentially voodoo, voodoo economics. I don't know how else to word it. It's they've really just like made up nonsense in order to create a value on these natural resources. And that was done by the UN back in uh, 2012. They did a whole document on that. They had 90 countries who had signed on to this uh, NAC natural asset companies back then. And, uh, of course, they kept saying, you know, the United States hasn't signed on yet, you know, but the, they will. They were, they were really encouraging the United States to get on board. So back in January of last year, 2023, the Biden administration implemented something called National Strategy to Develop Statistics for Environmental Economic Decisions. It's a U.S. system of natural capital accounting and associated environmental economic statistics. And this was done by the Office of Science and Technology Pol Policy, Office of Management and Budget Department of Commerce. And this is just basically the United States version of the UN SEEA ecosystem accounting. And then they also put uh, natural resources up on the balance sheet. Uh, so they're gonna try and leverage our natural resources towards the debt. And they uh, started something, I think it was about six days after the Biden administration got into office. They started uh, this project. It, because this whole thing is part of the 30 by 30 agenda, where by 2030, they want 30% uh, of the land to be completely prohibited, essentially, for human use. So there can be no productivity on it. They're doing this under the name of what they call conservation. Um, but it essentially means that there can be no uh, normal human inhabitation on that land. And that didn't go over so well. They actually changed the name to America the Beautiful. And this is part of the Biden administration's 15-year green economy uh, plan. And this America the Beautiful is just a cover. It's, you know, a euphemism for this 30 by 30 agenda. And if you've seen these maps, I, I know a lot of people saw it in 2020. It was kind of circulating. But that's what this map is about, this 20. Agenda 21 uh, map. And when you look at the green on this map, it's like almost no human inhabitation. And that is really just a stepping stone so they can get to what is called the Half Earth Agenda. Uh, and that is based on this book that was done by E.O. Wilson 
Uh, he's a biologist. Yeah, so if you look at this map, you can see the green is where they call it normal use uh, zones, and it is almost non-existent. It is a very, very small portion of the land. And uh, so, yeah, so E.O. Wilson did this half Earth, and that is just what it sounds like. Half of the Earth can be inhabited by humans. And, uh, yeah, so there's a whole lot that is terrifying about this. Uh, I guess the other point I should make that is really, really important for people to understand, this is not just applicable to federal lands. This this applies to private property as well. They can actually take management under what they call ecosystem management uh, of private property without not only not without your permission, but you might not even know about it. Hmm. Um, and this is done through things like conservation easements, which there's a huge push for. And I think that, you know, back in 1980, when they did the Conservation Act, uh, I believe it's 1980 or 1982, uh, really paved the way for this. They've been working on this for so long. Uh, back in 1992, Pelosi did a bill at the Health Earth Summit uh, that was part of this agenda. So I don't know, I could go on, but I don't know if you have... Well, you want to address no, no. The, I, I'm I'm glad you're you're informing me of so much stuff. I mean, you you have a lot of information there at your disposal, and I I'm just still trying to sort of wrap my mind <laughs> around what exactly uh, they're gonna be trading. I mean, it, it sort of strikes me like ESG or something, where it's like, okay, so yes. you're 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 an investment company, and people are gonna invest in you. Where's the profit? I mean, what? It, there, it's like it just doesn't right. make any sense on the face of it. So, so what is no, the what's the argument no here? No sense at all. This is why they had to create a whole new accounting system, voodoo economics. Um, so, what, basically, what they're going to do, you're right. This is ESG. Uh, this is the continuation of ESG, and the way that they're going to monetize this, and they're going to get very wealthy off of this, is they're going to do carbon offsets. Oh. So, essentially, typically, you know, things are valued based on production. This is the complete opposite. And this is, again, where it becomes so incredibly just so sinister and so sneaky and underhanded because now they put, let's say they put these natural asset companies up on the New York Stock Exchange. So it's a public company. People can invest in it. Not only, you know, Americans, but our foreign adversaries. So they can invest, let's just say, yeah, they're valuing it at five quadrillion. So they think they're going to get, they, you know, the, the what I call the parasite class, think they're going to get very, very wealthy off of this. And what they... Uh, what they can do is let's just take let's take someone like Saudi Arabia, for instance. They could invest in natural asset companies that are uh, in Texas, where there's very oil rich land. And now, mm. according to these uh, conservation ecosystem management policies, they can decide that there is no uh, drilling allowed on that land because it violates, you know, the ecosystem management of the NACs, the natural asset companies. But here's where it gets so incredibly sinister. Of course, that would just, that that in itself is already just horrifying, but we can take a step further. What they can do is they can then delist the natural asset company and now they can start drilling and they have ownership and they have rights to it. Wow. So China could do this, you know, for lithium rich uh, mining land. Um, You know, these are just some examples but yeah, they're planning to monetize through carbon offsets. So you would get like a, a carbon credit, a carbon offset uh, through these natural asset companies. It's part of like the degrowth agenda, which is just, you know, uh, it, I mean, it's communism. It's just uh, devaluing and de 
they're decreasing any productivity on the land. So, man, that, yeah, that's crazy. This is from uh, Epoch Times. It says, "Wall Street Journal has found a new way to fight global warming and turn a profit in the pro in the process." As if this will do anything to fight global warming. I mean, it's just uh, utterly ridiculous on the face of it. But they say, the New York Stock Exchange, together with an organization called the Ex Intrinsic Exchange Group, have proposed yeah. setting up a new type of company called a natural asset company, which would pool investors' money from around the world to buy the rights to land in the United States, with the goal of restricting its use to sustainable endeavors. And of course, I, I mean, obviously oil and, and mining uh, would be prohibited, but we know that yeah. they, they think that, uh, you know, farming cows is uh, yeah. unsustainable. They would say that having any farmland at all is unsustainable. So, and on top of that, it's That's about right. uh, turning into com uh, commodities, natural resources. It's monetizing and commodifying the world, yep. essentially. They're literally going to commodify the air we breathe. Photosynthesis is included in this. Yeah, I used to make this joke. I remember as a kid when, you know, like the bottled water became really popular. And like, I, I think Nestle was buying up all mm -hmm. this bottled water, you know, rights. And, and I remember I was like, so next they're going to, you know, commodify the air. They're going to put regulations on the air we breathe and they're going to charge us for it or they're going right. to make it you know, un unbreathable. Well, and, and, uh, and here we are, they're literally doing this. It's, 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 it's like a farce, except it's real. It's happening. And of course, um, oh my God. I mean, there's so many ways to go with this, but I mean, even just last week, yeah. there were stories saying that uh, global warming is caused by the air that we breathe, right? They literally said that humans breathing is, you know, causing carbon dioxide or whatever, too much of it. So we have to get rid of humans because they breathe too much. So that's, that's not a joke. And then last time the World Economic Forum got together, they sort of took the mask off and said, you know, we didn't succeed at getting the whole world under our thumb through COVID. So next time we're going to go for the water. Everyone understands water, yep. right? So, I mean, literally they are grabbing up the resources we need to survive because they don't just want the people, they don't just want all the people in a tightly controlled grid that they dictate who does what and when. Right. They want all natural resource. I mean, this is like satanic. It's like you'd read something in the Bible where it's like, it's not just the humans, it's the animals that are poisoned by this. I mean, it's the animals, it's the trees. They want everything codified, uh, uh, turned into a product that they control and, uh, and make money from. I mean, this is sick. It's so sick. And there is one other point I really want to make because I've gotten some pushback on this. They so obviously this is going to really affect farmers. And they're they're saying they're using like they always use lots of nice buzzwords. So of course we see buzzwords like sustainable and mm -hmm. transforming. And you know, that's all there. And we we know what that's a signaling to. But they also are saying that. They will only use uh, regenerative farming on these uh, natural asset company lands. And of course, that sounds lovely. However, there's a couple of problems with this. Any kind of commercial farming, uh, mass scale farming, that's unfortunately just not really realistic for most of these farmers. And what's going to happen is they're going to be completely uh, priced out or regulated out. And then that will, of course, turn the land over to these natural asset companies and they will have com complete domain and ownership of them. Um, the other big problem is that I think that the whole regenerative is just a code. It's just kind of, you know, sounds nice. But the reality is they don't want any production on their on these natural asset company lands. So I, I think they're going to say that you can't farm at all. 
And right. this is a great way to starve out the population. Um, so they're going to starve us of uh, air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat, um, and all the resources that we need, you know, for basic things like keeping warm and cool and, uh, you know, driving. And this is a great way for them to achieve their net zero goal. There are a couple of, I could read just the very seven, uh, the very quick, I mean, they did a much longer, it was like nine pages and people can go read that themselves, but just the seven uh, principles that go against uh, what the, the SEC ruling that the American Stewards of Liberty did um, in their comment, because I know people might find it daunting to write their own comment, but I, I will also say that the comments do not need to be long. You can be one or two lines for this comment and that you can, even in your comment, they actually list all of the comments are public. So you can, in that listing uh, of your own comment, you could read them, find one that you really like. And then in yours, you can cut and paste and say, I, in my comment, as part of my comment, I adopt the position of. Okay. So, so some of the points, but, but, uh, yeah. just before you do the list, how can people yeah. respond to this? What website should you go to? How, how should they uh, okay. register opposition to so this? They can go to sec.gov. Um, and uh, let me just find the, the longer is sec dash gov forward slash rules forward slash SRO forward slash SR dash NYSE dash 2023 dash 09. Um, so that's the, the site and yep, there it is. So submit a comment. Now, this is very important. Of course, they always play these games, don't they, where you have to follow the rules exactly, otherwise mm -hmm. it won't count. So in your, like, uh, subject line, you have to say, uh, file no.sr-nyse-2023-09, asking the SEC not to allow NACs to be to all involved at the SEC. So you have to put that in the subject line in order for it to count. Uh, okay. So that, that is very important. We want, and the reason it is so important that we have the comments is because let's say they keep pushing this through. I, it looks like they really did try to sneak this through. Uh, it seems like so few people have even heard about it. Um, but unfortunately, more people are starting to find out about it. And they are pushing back. And that's part of why they extended the comments. They had initially only done a 21-day period. And that was unheard of. It was unprecedented. Usually it's 30 to 90 days in some cases. And for something as big as this, 21 days is way too short. And they tried to push this through like during the holidays when right. very few people were paying any attention. Um, so it does seem like there is some pushback and they're feeling it, which is great. <laughs> uh, but... After this, if it does go through, there will be another period where until February 2nd, there can be a rebuttal on the comments uh, and on the ruling. And then from there, they might, you know, if, if there's nothing done, they'll do a lawsuit. And the there are 25 attorney generals, state attorney generals, who got together and they put in a comment and they really made the legal case for why this is unlawful. So that's a great one to look at. And if they do a lawsuit, then the people who have made comments will have a, a position in the lawsuit. They will have standing. So that's part of why it is so important Very to make these and, comments. And we also 
Yeah, I just I just went to uh, americansteward.us. That's the American yeah. Stewards of Liberty, and they have that article. State attorneys general sends scathing letter opposing NACs, which is nice to see that the attorney generals are paying attention at least. Yeah. So 25 states, their attorney generals submitted this uh, letter. They say this is a major shift against against and strong condemnation of the New York Stock Exchange and intrinsic exchange groups attempt to create a nefarious investment vehicle, quote, designed to take land off the market and prohibit productive economic use, uh, stated Utah Attorney General Sean D. Reyes. So uh, at least they seem to be standing up against this, but you still have a few days. I guess the uh, time frame has been extended until January 18th, so you don't have long. So go today and register your opposition to this and give your support to those AGs who themselves are attempting uh, to stop this. And uh, again, explain what the uh, what 3030 is, if you would, uh, please, because this map is troubling. And sure. the InfoWars audience probably knows this. Uh, I mean, this is the plan for globalists, right? Is that you won't yep. you won't own you won't own anything, right? You certainly won't own land. You won't be able to go anywhere you want. I mean, this ties into the 15 minute city concept. This ties into the fact that uh, cows in Ireland and Netherlands are being culled as uh, and the German farmers now protesting in Germany against the attacks on their profession. I mean, these are all part of one movement, aren't they? They are all tied together. Yeah. So uh, part of the reason the comment period was extended was thanks to Marlo Oaks. He is the state treasurer of Utah. He got 22 other state treasurers together. They did a, a protest and they got the comment period extended. So this 30 by 30 agenda. Uh, so they had to, of course, figure out how they were going to value uh, because there is no value on things like air we breathe and photosynthesis. And so there was a, a it was Dieter Helm, I think back in 2016, he actually wrote a whole book on valuing uh, natural capital. And uh, yeah, so it's part of this 30 by 30 agenda, which is they are hoping that by 2030, they can get to where only 30% of land is inhabited by humans and can be used for you know, traditional human use, which uh, basically just means that we can be on it, we can farm, yeah, we can- life, existence, uh, have, you know. We can breathe air, yeah. <laughs> All these things. So they're they're one they want to get to that by 2030. But it's really important for people to understand that this is just a stepping stone, but their real goal is to get to the half earth agenda. And of course, I don't think they'll stop there either. Mm -hmm. Um, because we're we're where are the the useless eaters, right? We're we're the carbon that they want to reduce. And so they want to get to that agenda where it's uninhabitable for us. We cannot use that land. And this, in my opinion, is really part of this yes it's definitely part of the 17 uh, sustainable uh, development goals of the un um and that's what they're doing under the guise of this what they call conservation uh but it's really all targeted towards this un agenda and i do think that really where they're going with this is a part of as you mentioned the 15 minute city so i don't know how familiar people are with the un centennial but they are trying to uh do you know the uh, anniversary of 100 years of the UN? So of course that would be 2045. They want to get to what they're calling an AI world society. Yeah. Uh, they've already had this symposium uh, about how they have to rebuild Ukraine, right? That Ukraine's been decimated by the war. We need to send all this money and rebuild Ukraine. And what they want to rebuild Ukraine into is an AI world society. So literally the hub of the metaverse, or as I kind of perceive it, a cyber Satan. Mm -hmm. um, that's what it looks like to me. But they want to connect this uh, hub the, of the AI world society to 
all of these other smart cities across the world. And they're doing this in partnership with the uh, the Boston Global Forum. Uh, Michael Dukakis, who is the former governor of Massachusetts, seems to be spearheading this. And they have a whole book already out on it. It, it is called Remaking the World, the Age of Global Enlightenment. If that's a not, not a nod to, you know, the whole New Age uh, movement, the Lucius Trust, if you will, uh, which started as Lucifer Publishing. And it is the Tell you what, Cordy, we, we got we to gotta go to break. Can you stay with us for one more segment? Sure. Yeah. Because okay, I mean, this is this is the octopus with its tentacles wrapped around us, dragging us into the depths. Courtney Turner on X at Courtney Turner. Back, ladies and gentlemen, I asked my guest Courtney Turner to stay for an extra segment. So I really think what she's talking about is so important. I mean, it really is the superlative threat right now. And it's not that this one thing is going to, you know, if they pass this, it's over. This is the way it works, as Courtney pointed out. It's incrementalism. Each one of these steps brings us that much closer to prison planet. And this map that they have, this illustration for 30 by 30, uh, the 30 by 30 map, you can see here, and if the, the crew can bring it up, you can see the red are core reserves, corridors, little to no human use. So these are the places that are depopulated of humans. It's uh, all along every river. Uh, you know, the Mississippi is completely red. Everything's completely red. The yellow is buffer zones, highly regulated use. And then the green, they say normal use. And then pink is Indian reservations. Reservations is the right word to use here. These are human reservations. These are little islands of green where you won't be able to leave. You won't be able to travel between them without express permission. And the areas between these green zones uh, will be uh, prohibited for access. So this is all about control. And what it reminds me of, really, Courtney, is if you look at a map of the West Bank in Israel, not to bring the Middle East conflict into this, but this is what it struck sure. me as. Uh, if you look at the uh, the West Bank in Israel and you, you can see that the population of Palestine is divided up into these little islands where in between Israel yeah. controls them. Now, obviously, this isn't about, uh, they don't couch this under climate change. They aren't saying it's for the environment that they're doing this. It's about controlling the population. And it's the same tactic just in America. They're going to say it's for the environment and for conservation. But the reality is they want humans on essentially reservations. And that's, that's yes. what they want. Well, I think it's worth noting uh, that Gaza has been marked as a 15-minute city. Right, so exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know that that's – it's not completely unrelated, I don't think, but – no, but, yeah. but you know, the the point is that whether they use conservation as an excuse or terrorism, yeah. as an excuse, it's about keeping people controlled to where you can't leave your neighborhood without permission and you can't uh, expand, you know, it, whenever you want. You can't just go wherever you want and do whatever you want. Everything about your life has to be has to, you have to be given permission for essentially. And that means moving from one town to the other. And there's this other story from uh, Yahoo. Many cities across the United States could become ghost towns by 2100. And they say th nearly 30,000 cities in the United States will face some sort of population decline. And of course, this is by design. They don't want a whole bunch of little small towns. They want major cities where all of the human population is congested and gathered together so they can be controlled and surveilled and monitored and, and, uh, strictly controlled. I mean, it's all about control at the end of the day. So they're going to couch this in terms of conservation, but even the most far leftist tree hugging hippie should be against this. I mean, 
isn't that something that, that we need to, to put out there? This isn't a right-wing thing. If you are an environmentalist no. of any sort, you should oppose this investment company from commodifying nature. That's something anybody who cares about the earth should be, they should be against no this proposal. Kidding. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And you're, you're absolutely right. This is all about surveillance and control. They will, they're going to take up all the control of all these natural resources, this rural land. And I think they really are particularly targeting the United States. And I think it's because the United States is so rich in natural resources. Mm -hmm. But of course, they want to push everybody, as you pointed out, into all the cities because the cities become a control grid. Um, and then we, they can, of course, also have a lot more control over depopulating and then controlling the people who are in there through these cities, which will become, you know, as I was talking about this AI world society, they're going to become the smart grids where I, I think their goals, I mean, this is not speculation. I, I'm not saying this will happen. I, I do think we have some power to push against it. I really right. hope so. That's why I'm trying to sound the alarm. Uh, but their goals are to put people on a UBI kind of a system that is marked by a caste system regulated by social credits, of course, mm -hmm. by carbon credits. This is all part of that. And, you know, in the cities where they had these geofencing already marked out, it's going to be so much easier to do that. And then, of course, they can convince us we don't we have limited resources. Why? Because they've already regulated and controlled them and withheld them from everyone. And they're commodifying it in the meantime. Uh, so there were a couple of other points I did want to make that I, I think are very relevant. Uh, one, people will remember derivatives, uh, which is basically placing hedging bets on bets is, again, bogus scam. And that was really what led to the uh, crash of 2008. And I think that is very much at play here with this voodoo economic system about putting nature on the balance sheet. That's literally what the Biden administration said. They're going to put nature on the balance sheet. Uh, so I think people need to uh, pay attention to that. I also wanted to bring up uh, Regent Smart. I have not figured out yet how it is connected, but my spidey senses tell me that it is. Either way, I think it's really important for people to be aware of. So it is a... It is a, a surveillance sensor technology that is backed by BlackRock, and it is essentially a tri-state quasi-government. And they this has already gone into effect with uh, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Arkansas. And uh, they are they they've passed uh, bills in the Senate, so they are going to try and roll this out through the country to have these tri-state uh, smart sensor governments essentially that will have eminent domain and again i don't know how that's tied to natural asset companies but i assume it is because uh i i know all of these agendas are linked and it seems like the perfect way to then get your carbon offset right which is what mm -hmm. the natural asset company is all about uh they also this is just a kind of interesting note i when i was doing the research on this they hired a pr firm it's called confluence partners and when you look into it they they pretty much say that they have to really poise the narrative for journalists because it's just so complicated. They won't understand it. Oh, and they have to really target all the NGOs to get their messaging right. Uh, I read, the, to me, reading between the lines, that what that meant was we have to create a lot of propaganda because, yep. uh, you know, essentially this makes no sense at all. And this is really just stripping human beings of all of their, not just their freedoms, but their right to live. Right. <laughs> I mean, they want to commodify the air we breathe. So. Oh, yeah. no, it's it, it's so it's so <laughs> sick. And of course, you know, this is all being done by the very same people who in the last four years have brought in 10 million illegal immigrants. So it's not like they don't care about overpopulation. They're not 
concerned yeah, about, well, you know, too many people on American land. The, everything yeah, well, they do contradicts everything else they do because they're deceiving you about everything, and there's an ulterior motive behind everything that they're doing. So, again, AmericanStewards.us has this story. Uh, natural asset companies and the time frame to submit comments of this has been extended. You have until January 18th, and so you can write one today, and you can find out how to do that at that website. And I know, Courtney, you've done so much research into this, and if people want to find out more, they can uh, go to your Rumble or your website, CourtneyTurner.com or x.com slash Courtney Turner or rumble.com slash Courtney Turner. And that's Courtney spelled with an A. So it's C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y Turner, just uh, for our radio listeners. So they know how to spell it, find you and learn more about this. We have about a minute uh, left. What, what's your, your final statement on uh, why it's so important to oppose these natural asset companies? Um, because, uh, you know, I, I think Margaret Byfield did put this really well. She said that, you know, either we own property or we become the property that is owned. Right. And uh, I do not want to be enslaved by the parasite class. So I think it is really important that we, you know, avert the metaphors for as long as possible and avoid avoid the whole transhuman, uh, post-human agenda. And they actually do have a post-human agenda, by the way. There are several books that have been written on this. It's called, uh, they call it the handbook to uh, guide to post-humanism. So this is a real thing that they really do believe they're going to have this, uh, you know, uh, AI god that controls, you know, through a hyborg mind that they program, they control all the cyborgs and eventually all of the, I guess, just robots. And uh, they will be the people living forever as cyborgs controlling everybody else who is a robot. Um, but really, just I want to urge people, go to the sec.gov, go to that site, submit your comment. Uh, hopefully, we don't need to go to litigation, but that will be some recourse if we do. And really to just derail this plan for as long as possible, because uh, as you know, we tried to point out something you said, it was a, an octopus with tentacles that are so incredibly long and uh, it really just seems to stretch everywhere. And if we can just derail one, then it puts a little kink in their plan. So well, I'm, they're, they're, they're meeting right now in Davos to plot our imprisonment, but there's more of us than there are of them. And we can break out anytime yeah. we choose. Thank you so much, Courtney Turner, for all the incredible work you're doing. And I hope everybody goes and files a complaint against this. Do your part. Follow Courtney Turner. We'll be right back, folks. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the American Journal, Infowars.com, band.video. Please do share those links, share these stories. Do your part in whatever way that you can to oppose the globalist machine. You know how it feels? It feels like they're doing everything they can to cut off all of the exits. Right? We often say they're building a prison planet. They're, they're building a prison around us. They're constructing this digital farmyard where they're fencing us in. But it feels like right now they've sort of – they've got us in the house, and we're not exactly trying to break out, but they want to prevent that from being a possibility. So it's like you turn that way, and there's a door, and you see them there slamming the door shut and locking it. And you look at the window, and they're putting a board over the window and, and hammering that in. They're, they're sealing us in right now. And as Courtney uh, Turner just pointed out, that's one pathway where they're limiting, Amer uh, limiting American and really all human activity, just preventing us from having land, from getting away from the cities, from being independent, from starting our own communities. They don't want that. They want you folded into the system. Another way 
uh, that they're doing this is, of course, through money. And this was uh, posted by uh, Rich on Twitter at HeyWildRich. A few days ago, the ADL published a report that named me specifically, along with 14 others, that use crypto. The goal it was to use ex- to was to urge exchanges to ban us, which they did, and more insidiously, the U.S. A government to track us as domestic violent extremists. And of course, my response to that is that they say crypto is bad because it's used by criminals. What they mean is that they want to be able to shut off access to funds for any dissident political movement. So it's like, okay, you want to you wanna just escape from the city and just break free and go live on your own while they're cutting off that exit. Okay, you want to actually fund a resistance to this. You want to give your money to people that are opposed to this to try to slow down or reverse their agenda. Well, they'll be cutting off those funds shortly soon. It seems like every opportunity for escape for all of humanity from their clutches is being systematically eliminated. And, of course, InfoWars has had their number since before they even started constructing the prison. And we also have the plans of the prison, meaning we can design the escape. And the escape is it's necessary to oppose them at every front. And really, it, I mean, it's, it all comes down to control. It's so obvious that's what all of this is about. And it's obvious that just like any criminal, they can't just come out and say their real intentions. And I don't know why people have trouble with this in their own lives. They, they, if it's in their personal life, they recognize this type of thing immediately, right? You've got some guy, uh, you know, asking to, to review your house security because we can offer an upgrade, and you're like, okay, but the company you say you work for doesn't exist. Your name tag looks like you printed it out this morning. You're casing my house for a robbery, right? Like, obviously, the person isn't going to knock on your door and go, hey, I'm going to rob you later. I need to see where all your security cameras are. No, they're going to frame it in a way that you accept because evil does that all the time, always, forever. That's what evil does to take advantage of people. You have to trick people. So I don't know why they can't see that on the global level when you hear words like, conservation and sustainability and equity and it's just like you can just picture the thief dressed up in a security uniform knocking on your door and you just go i'm not buying it does that mean that i don't want to be secure right if i say this is a scam to deprive us of our natural resources does that mean i want the earth destroyed and i don't care about conservation or environment no it means they're lying about that so you don't have to fall for it and I don't get why people have, have trouble with that, but they, they really, really do. And it's annoying. It's annoying that we have to explain to this as if it's not obvious, as if these people don't give off the vibe of James Bond supervillains. Like, wh- why do we have to explain this? Well, we have to explain it because most people don't even know that these things exist. They don't know the World Economic Forum exists. They don't even know. They certainly don't know what it does. They don't know who Klaus Schwab is. Or why they should care about him they have no idea and the weird thing is when you tell them they don't believe you that's the craziest thing about all this and i, I just i just always think back to my debate with destiny years ago where it was about globalism and i was debating you know debating anti-globalism he thought globalism meant globalization right it's just like 
I get to, I can fly to China in an afternoon. That's globalism. Like, no, idiot. That's globalization. That's just technology. That's natural and, and fine. Globalism is the establishment of a one world government that's unelected and anti-human. And the World Economic Forum is a group of billionaires and royalty and academics and media powerhouses that get together to plan how to best create this global government. And they do it. I mean, they're doing it. They get together, they plan these things, and they implement these things. So some people look destiny have never heard of that. They have no idea this is going on. And then you explain it to them, and they go, I don't think that's happening. And it's like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you don't think it's happening? It doesn't matter if you think it's happening or not. It's happening. It's just, just imagine, you know, you walk in soaking wet, and you go, it's raining outside. And somebody goes, I don't think it is. Just like, oh, okay, What? Uh, but it is. This is happening. They are creating a global government. They are working together. They are blatant, open. They announce their intention to deprive you of property, to have you own nothing, to have you eating bugs, to have your genetic line end with you because they want you not having children. They want you not breathing air. And it's the same people that'll say, we have to buy all this land to conserve it. And by the way, we have to chop down trees for global warming and bury them. That's the Bill Gates agenda. Oh, by the way, we have to genetically modify uh, mosquitoes to release them by the tens of thousands from helicopters because we love you so much. Do we really have to explain to you that the billionaire class of exploiters and parasites aren't working for your best interest? Is this really something you need to have explained to you? My God. And again, we have videos from the World Economic Forum. It's the same crap they always say. It's the same thing over and over. Uh, their, their concerns have nothing to do with the real concerns of humanity. The real concerns of humanity, if you were to poll human, humanity as a, as a whole, it would be very obvious what their concerns would be. They're just like, I just, I'm sick of not having any money. I, I work really hard and I just want to be able to relax sometimes uh, and, and send my kid to a good school. I want you know, my country not be overrun by illegal immigrants. Uh, people, normal people's concerns are the exact opposite of everything the World Economic Forum claims to be addressing, the concerns being addressed. The concerns the World Economic Forum is addressing is like people are speaking out against the World Economic Forum, so we need censorship. Uh, you know, people are funding people that are against us, so we need to control the monetary supply. People are growing their own food, so we need to shut that down and have everything come from a factory farm. That grows bugs. So we have these videos, but it's honestly, it's, I don't even, I, it's like, I know we have to pay attention to it because not a lot of people know what's going on and we need to be aware of what they're doing. But on the other hand, it's just like, I don't even want to give them the satisfaction of listening to them. We know what they're doing. We know exactly what their plans are. We don't need to hear it again from them. And I mean, it's, it's, It's something that you should do today after the war room finishes broadcasting because you, I assume you're going to watch InfoWars for the entire broadcast day. But just listening to the World Economic Forum raw, just the raw live feed that they put out, it's very informative. There's a lot of people clip out stuff on Twitter and you can start doing that too. Watch the, that's actually would be an incredibly powerful thing for our 
audience to get involved in is just get it, get OBS. OBS is a software that you can download to, to screen record um, or do it on your phone, which iPhones have that built in. I, I think Androids do too. Watch the World Economic Forum stream, record that stream, and when you hear them say something that you think people need to know, cut it out, put it on Twitter, tag me in it. Because we'll share it, we'll get it out there. That's something that we need, like all hands on deck doing this. Because you'll, you'll see one clip from the World Economic Forum everywhere. It goes viral and it's everywhere. There are hours of talks a day and every single talk is replete with the globalist agenda laid bare. So if you want to do something and be, be involved in this information war, that's your call to action. Watch the World Economic Forum as boring and annoying as it is. Watch it, clip it, upload it, share it, get the information out to let everybody know you don't have to be right wing, you don't have to be left wing, you don't have to be conservative, you don't have to be liberal, you don't have to be white, you don't have to be black, you have to be a human being to oppose these psychopathic supervillains meeting right now in a castle in Switzerland. We'll be right back. While other networks lie to you about what's happening now, InfoWars tells you the truth about what's happening next. InfoWars.com forward slash go. Please listen to me very carefully. If you don't have enough vitamin D3 in your body, which particularly happens in the winter months because sun and your skin produce vitamin D3 naturally, if you don't have enough vitamin D in your body, you will get viral infections and the viruses will replicate in your body. That's the number one cause of viral infection and viral replication and illness. Vitamin D3 is so incredibly important. We have the highest quality organic vitamin D3 back in stock, winter sun, for 40% off with free shipping and double Patriot points for the new year. So this 2024, do the right thing. Protect yourself, protect your family. Get winter sun at InfoWarsStore.com and then more importantly, take it. It's the highest quality. Winter Sun, 40% off, free shipping, double Patriot points, InfoWarsStore.com. But whatever you do, get vitamin D3 organic and take it. Vitamin D3 is beyond critical. Get yours at InfoWarsStore.com today.